Welcome back, everyone, to Not Enough Bones, a gaming podcast about too many bones and everything else Chip Theory Games has cooking. I'm your host, John, and joined today by the lovely David. David, tell the people how you're doing this morning. Hey, what's up, people? Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a lot in store for you today, and we're just excited to be here. Absolutely, David. We've got an action-packed episode today. We are finishing out our top 50 games of all time, so some great games on that list, but we also have uh, some recent plays to catch up on, so I'm really excited for today. Um, But David, first thing I have to ask you about this morning is, how's your coffee taste? And we always, we, we like to record early in the morning. If you didn't know, David and I are both big coffee lovers, um, and the best part of our morning is probably getting up making that cup of coffee, sitting down, and then having that first sip. So uh, I've got some espresso over here. I don't know. uh, How's your coffee tasting this morning, David? Yeah, dude, I'm drinking some of that Bones coffee. You know Bones coffee. Yeah, so it's it's, it's good. Uh, Official coffee partner with uh, Too Many Bones and Chip Theory Games, if anybody's wondering. But yeah, you know, John, we just get up early, and I, I feel like that maybe makes us better than everybody else. You know what I mean? So I think it's something like that, yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, uh, as John uh, has introed us, we got a lot to cover today, y'all. This is exciting as we round out our list. But before we jump into our list, we're going to jump into some uh, recent plays. John, tell me a little bit about what you've been playing. Oh, David, I've been gaming recently. I have been getting quite a few games on, both digitally and in person. So um, the the wait is finally over. Um, I have been waiting for a game called Mythic Battles Ragnarok. Uh, And I think I mentioned this last podcast because I've been playing it online uh, with a friend. Um, But that finally came in um, about a week and a half ago now. So it came in during game night. I I brought the box in and my friends and I all opened it up. So I actually haven't played my copy per se in person, but I kind of taught two of our friends. So I kind of live vicariously through them. Um, and got to play really enjoyed um, the game again the miniatures are beautiful so shout out mythic battles Ragnarok finally here the the wait is over Um, but one game that I got to play that I was really excited about um, is the veil of eternity Um, I don't know if you've heard about this one this was on a couple people's like surprises list or top list from 2023 Um, my buddy Brady picked it up um, and it was a really simple kind of card drafting game Um, The whole mechanism is based off of you put cards out into a central tableau and then in turn order you do kind of like a snake draft. So the first player picks or claims the first card out there and then they also claim the last card. So it goes through turn order and then back in reverse turn order Um, and then players get to decide if they want to tame the kind of mythical creature, um, if they want to sell it for its resources or if they... Um, want to play it from their hand and you kind of create combos that score points so one card might say score three points for each of your green creatures that you have and another may say get a green creature from the discard pile or um, your cards cost one less there's like instant effects and round end effects and permanent effects it was a really low barrier to entry drafting game where i really felt like it was kind of build your own combo uh, in a way to score points Um, really enjoyed it it was very quick um very low overhead um and i think it was a fun lightweight kind of drafting it was different it was different than a game i've played before um because i've played like drafting games but this had a little bit more of a 
kind of combo engine building type to score your own points. Um, I've played it twice now, and each game was pretty different in how it played out. So um, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if you've heard much about Veil of Eternity, um, but I think it's one you might enjoy. Um, and it was pretty quick to play, too, which always helps. Yeah, it's on uh, BGA right now, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe that might be one to, to try out. I know that some of the folks from the Dice Tower were um, raving about that. And another game called Ancient Knowledge were two tableau builders that they were both kind of like hype on. So yeah, I'd definitely be interested to uh, try it. How long did you say again? It was that it probably took to play? Um, 20, 30 minutes, maybe. Played oh. it at three, played it yeah. at four. The four player game was definitely a little longer um probably 45 ish minutes on the um the four player game but it was pretty pretty snappy yeah nice nice yeah definitely want to try that one out yeah i really enjoyed it um and then one other game i got played just yesterday and i'm interested if you've played it at all is what i would call the latest hotness uh, on kickstarter is altered have you played altered david no, I is isn't that the uh like the CC the new CCG? I'm thinking of? it is. It is. Oof. And it is um it's a lane battler. So this is a I honestly think you would really like this game, David. Um okay. based on how much I know you like battle line, right? General yeah. idea of the game to give you a 30 second overview because I found I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on it and all of them were talking about the collectability aspect of the game and that threw me off. I I was like is there actually a game here? We had some chats about that in our group text. But general idea of the game, there's two lanes. Um, there's the companion lane and the character lane. The game starts with you have two tokens on the extremities of this kind of middle track. You win the game by getting your tokens in the same space, whether you move one all the way over to the over over to one side, you meet in the middle or any combination. And then on the board for each lane, in order to get from step, you know, a step one on the left to two, you need to succeed in one of three categories. So there's like grass, mountains, and water. You're playing cards with respective strengths and stats in each of those categories. So I may play a card that has a two strength in each of those categories. Um, Play cards until you run out of resources. And then you compare the strengths. If you have a higher strength in one than your opponent, you get to progress in that category, um, in that lane. Um, If you tie, obviously nothing happens. Um, Very, very simple. Um, it's pretty quick too. I've been playing it with Andrew. It's obviously a one v one game, so I, it's been fun because I haven't played a lot of lane battlers. So I, I enjoy. There's the tension of well, if I play this card here, I'm really committing a lot of resources, and maybe they just go in the other lane, and I don't have any way to stop them. So they're still getting some progression over there. There's still some interaction with how some of the cards can work in terms of um, making it so you uh, might have a card returned to your hand or put into your reserve because after you play a card, it goes to your reserve and you can use it in a future round but then you lose it after that and it might have a different cost there's a bunch of ins and outs to me this is a game that kind of got lost in the marketing and collecting aspect of all the the marketing for it and i'm like there's actually a decent game here i just don't know how much i would actually want to play it um with all of the noise i would say um i am enjoying it i'm now on my third game that i'm playing with andrew um, and it's been pretty fun to kind of explore each different faction, but, um, I'm interested. Andrew got in on the Kickstarter. Um, so maybe I'll see when it comes in for him. This is one where I'm worried that the, the forced, you know, collectability aspect of the game might impact how the game environment is or the availability of 
um, said items. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, overall, John, we I was were, I was surprised by it. We were just talking yesterday because I have been uh, impervious to having my uh, having the talents of the CCG world sink its uh, nasty claws into uh, my skin and take me flying away like a little baby goat off a mountain cliff. But there is a game uh, that is coming out called Star Wars Unlimited. And John, I'm a, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. I love it. And I think up uh, so far, I don't think that there's a Star Wars game out there that I particularly care for. Star Wars Rebellion exists, but that also takes like four hours. And I like I have one person in my life that would I that would do that with me. Um, but I have like you know I've got Dune War for Arrakis. That's kind of like my my thing right now. I don't want I don't need another one like that. And then there is um, Star Wars the deck building game, and I like it, but I think it's like it's a little bare bones. I don't know like how thematic it necessarily is. Uh, and then there's a few other ones, but this one, man, I don't know. I don't know. There's just something about it. I hear it plays fast. Um, I know they're going to be supporting it quite a bit. I think with Lorcana coming out too, that was like a big, you know, people still, I guess someone, someone out there is probably thinking like, okay, there's still a lot of money to be had outside of magic, the gathering. Um, and I don't know, man. I just, yeah, I, I know I shouldn't because I know it's a money pit. But man, oh man, I it's it's like that. I don't know, man. It's just like a nice car that just drove by, and I can't stop looking at it. You know what I mean? It just here I am thinking about yeah, it, I and think, I know I shouldn't. <laughs> I think uh, first of all, from a pricing standpoint, barrier to entry. I think the initial um, what's it called? The initial like uh, starter, starter set. You can get that for like thirty bucks. And I think for a barrier to entry, that's very, very low for most TCGs. Oh, totally. I mean, most of the time you're looking at that for for one deck alone. So I think from a pricing standpoint, it seems pretty cool. Um, and it is doing some innovative things, I would say, from a mechanism standpoint. And the two big things that I'll call out are um, one thing, which is a newer kind of trend, I would say, is that idea of using um, cards as resources. That's something that I'm seeing in altered, right? So in altered at the start of each round and at the, so the start of the game, you draw six cards and you discard three of them face down to use as your mana pool. And similar to magic, right? Where you're playing cards, which are lands in magic that every round, so round one, you have a maximum of one mana, then two mana, then three and it, and it grows round to round. Same thing with altered. But what these new games are doing are they're not limiting those cards you play as mana or lands to just a specific type of card. It can be any card in your deck, but that then presents the decision of, well, in order to play a land this turn, I have to give up one of the cards that I could play outside of, uh, you know, playing it as a land. So, for example, I may have a, a lightsaber attachment in my hand if I'm playing Star Wars Unlimited, but I might also have... Uh, Han Solo and I want to be able to play Han Solo this turn but by doing so I'm going to have to forfeit that lightsaber card for the rest of the game placing it face down as a resource so I think that's going to create some variance as the games go on um, where you're going to have to kind of respond and say all right well maybe my opponent's playing this kind of strategy so I'm going to forego the use of some of these cards or they might come back to bite you of like hey I could really use this card but unfortunately it's a resource right so I like that idea because it smooths out 
the curve that often frustrates players at Magic, right? If you don't draw the lands or you don't draw the right lands, also one of the most frustrating things in Magic is how expensive a lot of the land cards are. Like if you want to build a good mana base for like a commander deck, you're looking at easily, you know, four to five hundred dollars if you're trying to build a, uh, a the the most efficient mana base. Obviously, you can do it for basically free if you're just using basic lands, but it removes that, right? Because you're not having to buy specific cards to help prop up the, you know, the functions of your deck. So um, I think it's going to be a, a pretty fun game. Uh, and then the alternating activations is the other one. That's something that I don't see in many games either. Altered, ironically, has that as well, um, which kind of forces you. And Altered's a different kind of game because it's a lane battle or not a like a TCG destroy your opponent type game. Um, right. So... I don't know. I'm I'm interested. I told you, David, I'll pick up the uh, um, the starter deck. I'm actually there's a pre-release event tomorrow afternoon at a local game store. That unfortunately, well, I have a baby shower, so that's great. So I'm not going to be able to go to the <laughs> the pre-release. So I shouldn't say unfortunately, but I did message them to see if they're going to have some of the product in stock. So maybe I'll right. pick something up. You never know. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just one of those things where. I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, the barrier, as you said, the barrier entry is is not bad at all. So I I probably should just pony up and not whine about it. But yeah, and there's another game that's a lane battler called um, Old King's Crown. Are you familiar with that one, John? That's on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Now listen, listen, brother. The art is fantastic, but the only reason I was even looking at it is because you know that we stand super hard for Mr. Cole Worley, which we may or may not be talking about later on in this podcast. <laughs> um, and so he did development work on that game. So as far as lane battlers are concerned, I, I do love them. So Altered sounds interesting. And uh, Old King's Crown is another one um, that I'd be looking at. So yeah. Any other uh, recent plays that you have going on? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, I've played, uh, we finished our game of El Grande. I got a game of Rumble Nation in. I got to try Ooh. White Castle, which... White Castle, David, I don't know if you've looked much into it. it <laughs> you have nine actions that entire yeah, game. Man. And this game yeah, suffered man. from the problem with my giant brain buddy, Matthew, where me and Brady, first off, we Matthew learned the rules, forgot the rules, so he kind of taught it from the rule book. So the teach was about 35, 40 minutes, and the game took about yeah. 20. So first off, when Ooh. the teach is longer than the actual game, that's always difficult. But mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it's one of those games where I'm taking an action and then I look over and Matthew has done not only everything that I've done, but like three times more in the same amount of actions. And it's just like, I know he's not cheating. I like I swear he's not cheating, but it feels that way <laughs> because he's just so far ahead of Brady and I. And so it just wasn't it wasn't enjoyable in the sense that like the game is so tight, only giving you nine actions. I don't always get super jazzed up about a, Hey, we're going to put these super fine constraints on you where you're only going to have nine actions. The game feels so, so short. You can't get much momentum going. It's like maximize it. It's got some cool, unique mechanisms that I, I thought were cool. Uh, I need to play it again. Um, to give a better judgment of it. But, um, now that I have the rules down a little bit more, but, it just seemed a little imbalanced in the sense that like there are three main kind of strategies that appeared. You had your samurai, you had your courtiers, which were kind of, you know, trying to advance the social ladder. And then you had your farmers and they seemed like the three main ways you'd score points. So I went after the samurai strategy 
And then at the end of the game, Matthew's like, oh, that's not how they score. They score this way. So I thought I had 20 plus points. In reality, I had three. So um, basically, there's like a multiplicative scoring where they score based on the number of courtiers in the house or in the castle, the White Castle. But what Matthew didn't clarify was that it was only your courtiers because there's no color specific notes on the board. So I had three different or four different samurais out. So I was like, I'm going to be scoring four points per courtier. And there were six total in the house. And I was like, great. I've actually I've invested a lot. Matthew scoring 20 something points alone from his farmers. So that that makes sense to me that they score on equal footing as some of the other areas based on the investment. Nope, I got four points because I only had one courtier. So it was a little bit of a gotcha at the end based on Matthew. You know, on this rule, but, no. Uh, Overall, um, it didn't leave me with the greatest impression, but I think it could have been part of the, you know, situation anyways. And then Rumble Nation, I think I talked about that last episode since it was my number 11. I got a beautiful, David, you oh. can see it over my shoulder. My The viewers yes, won't be able to see it, but might be so one good. of the best covers of all time. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, it's great. It's got this gold foiling, beautiful hand drawn. I mean, it's a wonderful game um, and just so snappy too. Yeah. Yeah, Rumble Nation is a fantastic game. I I really, really enjoy it. So I'm glad you got that deluxe copy. I'm going to have to pick one up myself at some point in time because oh, yeah. uh, it looks, I think it, you'll it need looks it. amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, well, we're uh, we're running into a little bit of time here, so I'll just like, I'll go really quickly. Uh, I've been playing some games of Undaunted Normandy, uh, so that's been a lot of fun. Really enjoying that game. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think my wife enjoys like tactical positioning, like the, the strategy behind tactical positioning as much as I do. Um, so I don't know where Undaunted's going to leave me as far as like with my two-player games. I really like it. I think it's a fantastic system so far. But uh, we'll see kind of like what, what happens um, with that. And then uh, we got in a game of... Now, John, I, I don't really care for rolling rights, flipping rights, whatever in rights. It's just not my jam don't really care about it however um i am always on the lookout for just like having one that will be good because sometimes you want something that's like kind of light you know that'll you can carry with you and and i'm going to highly recommend flip town perhaps people have seen the hype around this game and i just want to say that i think for a rolling right flipping right i think the hype is real it feels very thematic for what you're doing uh is very satisfying and i think what's best of all is that um it does two things. I am not a fan of like the combo, 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 constant stream mm-hmm. of like dopamine hits and <laughs> that you're getting from some of these other games that just make you feel like you're doing great the whole time. Uh, I played fleet, the dice game and another one and you just, you end up maxing out your tracks and that's not fun for me. Um, and then the other thing is I like a flip and right or a roll and right that puts constraints on you as the game goes further on. And what happens is at the end of every round, um, based on certain activities that you're doing around town, um, you start, if you, uh, you accrue, I guess what you would call like outlaw points or just like, uh, you know, you become more wanted. That's what it is. So you, you accrue like level of wantedness. And as you become more wanted, the easier it is for the, um, for the sheriff to come and arrest you. And so you think about like, think about a threshold of how much nonsense the sheriff is willing to put up with. And mm-hmm. so let's say your, your outlaw level is five. Well, if the sheriff draws 
uh, what you do is during the arrest phase, you'll flip over a card, and if it's lower than your outlaw um, value, then you'll get arrested, and then you have to like pay a certain amount or whatever. And so just think of that as like if you're at outlaw level five, well, today the sheriff's willing to put up with outlaw levels four or more. And so, um, or yeah, he's he's not he's he's had it up to four. Anything past four, you're done. And so from round to round, you do these, like you have this arrest. So you're like constantly thinking of that threat because it costs you money or it costs you points uh, if you get arrested. And then also at the end of every round, you play a game of poker, which is fantastic. Mm. So it's my poker hand against your opponent's poker hand. And then based off of like, uh, based off of what kind of hand you win with is how many points and money you get, but also you accrue some more outlaw points. Uh, so that's the, and that's a Texas Hold'em variant that included in the game, which is like, it's, it's really good. So, uh, but it, it's just so charming. It's so thematic. Like if you've accrued yeah, a lot like of it. outlaw, if you've accrued a lot of outlaw points, you can go to the church and then you can make donations to the church so that, you know, atone for your sins and then you remove those <laughs> outlaw points. Um, you can go grave robbing. And of course, you know, that will uh, accrue some outlaw points for you unless you're friends with the uh, with the undertaker, in which he, you know, he helps you out there. I just like, I don't know. You can rob stage coaches. Yeah, it, it feels all very thematic. I really love for what it is. I really like it. And I highly recommend. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it. Everything else is dead to me. Uh, anything by Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback can go live in uh, a, a, in the dirt somewhere. That's like the Three Sisters, the French Quarter, the Fleet the Dice, like all those games. Yeah, those games are dead to me. So Flip It Town, Flip Town, guys, that's the one you want to get. So, yeah, but uh, that's kind of what I've been playing recently, John. Uh, shall we move on to just a quick news segment? John, Chip Theory Games is, oh. is throwing their hat in the ring. Kickstarter. For, uh, yeah. Yeah, throwing their hat in the ring for area control and neon, apparently. Yeah, March 17th, we've got uh, Roth, which I'm trying to figure out how the name, like, what does that mean? Isn't that a word? I'm, I need to look at the definition because it's like, oh, it means angry. Oh, yeah, it's, it's the old, I just Googled it's like that, old so. English, old English for wrath, basically, but instead it's Roth. Yes. The more you know. Well, hopefully uh, we get to see a little bit more of the game. I have not been able to catch up on some of the live streams with some of the gameplay, David. I don't know if you have, but yeah. I'm telling you, the art alone in the colors Oof. just make me want to look look at this game another step. Obviously, the fact that it's coming from Chip Theory 2 is a big draw. So I'm excited to see the Kickstarter. You best believe I'm already following that. And I'm sorry, I believe it's coming on GameFound, not, not Kickstarter. I could be wrong. Um, so I'm very excited for this. Um, do you think you're going to back this, David? Or what, uh, what are you uh, right now? Yeah, I probably will. Area control is a genre that I really enjoy. Uh, I want to like, I want to eat this game because it just looks so candy. It looks like, it looks like a lot of candy uh, on my table. So like, it just looks awesome. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think here's the thing. I trust Chip Theory Games to do... Like, even if the game isn't necessarily, like, the greatest in the world, I know that they will at least do something interesting and different and not something generic. And, mm-hmm. you know, if it's at least interesting, I'm I'm here for it. So, because, uh, I mean, like, what, like, who else is making stuff that, like, Chip Theory Games does? Nobody, nobody's doing what they're doing. 
Um, and that's why we love them. That's why we do this podcast. So yeah. I'm super excited for Roth and uh, just to see what they're able to pull off. You know, they, they are bringing in, this is an outside designer. So this is Manny Tremblay. Mm-hmm. So if anybody is a big fan of Dice Throne, which I, I really liked, uh, I like Marvel Dice Throne quite a bit. Um, but I think that's the only thing he's really designed. So, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But yeah. I trust I'm excited Chip to Theory Games to do some good development. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, John, uh, yeah. shall we and move I do on? Know, yes, we should. I do know Paul Grogan should be having a uh, video or live stream out next week, I believe. He's getting his his copy. So I think next Friday he's planning to do a review. And I always have enjoyed, he's actually, kind of how I got into Chip Theory Games was some of his videos, rules videos on um, Too Many Bones. So um, excited to see him play some of those games. I know there are some of, some of Chip Theory games are games that he said, if I had more time or if I wasn't doing this full time, these are the games I would play more. Um, and yeah. some of the Chip Theory games, Codspire, Too Many Bones are right totally. on that list for him. But yes, you are correct. I think Manny Trembley has only really designed the Dice Throne games, which uh, by only, I mean, there's quite a few products out there for that. But um, excited for what he's going to do with Roth. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah. All right, David, it's time. It's the it final count. It's the final countdown. Um, we are going to cover games ten through one. Um, very excited for this. These are, as some would say, the irrefutable best games out there. Nobody can question the quality of the games on our list. I think we'll have a good amount of overlap here, David. I'm assuming there will be at least three or four that I have on mine that you don't have on yours, and vice versa. Um, I think my my bet is that at least five of our games will overlap um, because I know I have at least three on here that I don't think you really like. Um, so I'm betting on five. I'm hedging my bets there. But um, I can go ahead and get us started here with number 10. Um, and this is a game. I don't know if you um, ever saw those books as a kid that said, you know, chicken noodle soup for the soul or whatever it was called for the kid's soul, for the whoever's soul. They had chicken noodle soup for everyone's soul. Um, in my opinion, this board game is chicken noodle soup for the board gamer's soul. This is my comfort game in the sense that I could play this game at any time. Kind of autopilot. There's a lot of decisions to make, but they're all, I don't know if you've played it enough. It's not an intimidating game um it's just like my comfort food game and that is terraforming mars terraforming mars is a game and you're rolling your eyes already i love this game it is a big game especially with all the expansions that we have i don't i don't think it's as thinky maybe because you're kind of just reacting to the cards you're drafting you are building your strategy but there's not like a it's not like a heavy, heavy Euro game, I wouldn't say, in how the execution of it goes. It's more in, all right, how am I going to build my own combos? What's the timing? I'm going to do certain actions. How am I going to compete for certain spaces on the board? Um, but I just, I could play this game at any time, uh, anywhere, any place. I played it digitally, in person, with the deluxe edition, etc. Um, I just, I love the straightforward nature of of how this game works. I love the drafting. Um, it's just like a, it's like a comfort, comfort game for me. It's like a warm bowl of chicken noodle soup. And I know it's not for everyone. I know you tried it at two players. Didn't like that. I know it's popular solo. I don't care to play this game solo. Um, I don't know. I just, I really enjoy terraforming Mars. The art is pretty terrible. 
Um, but you know, that doesn't stop me from, from liking it. So that will be my number 10 game, uh, terraforming Mars. Yeah. Admittedly, it is definitely a better game at higher player counts, uh, just because you can hit your objectives or like the end game trigger is a little bit quicker, um, due to everybody contributing to it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I like, I think I agree with you. It is comfort food. It doesn't crack my top, uh, 50, um, be just due to the fact that I, I feel like maybe the game can be a little bit of a slog. Uh, but of course, our, our game group tends to play pretty darn fast. So I know that, like, you know, if the four of us sat down or the five or the however many of us sat down, we could knock out a game in an hour and a half, uh, no problem. Yeah. Um, but I just, I think the, I guess the, the rinse repeat nature of the game and then as people, you know, as your tableau builds out, you know, your actions, I guess, maybe get more and more involved, uh, or at least the rounds go, but I don't know. It, it's good. It is, it is good. My favorite thing about Terraforming Mars is the map, and that is why the shared map, everybody, the shared infrastructure that exists between all players, this is why Terraforming Mars still is and will always be a better game than a certain zoo-themed game that exists uh, that might be in the top five of Board Game Geek. Everybody else is wrong about that, and they just love uh, solo fiddling around in their own zoo pool type of thing. So, and I'm not here for that. Green. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Well, good pick, John. It's a fan favorite for many people, so I understand why it's in your top ten. Exactly. I'm going to go with another one that's also a fan favorite. This isn't anything weird. It's nothing hipster. It's just like it's right there, man. It's Dune Imperium. My number ten. Dune Imperium is a, yeah, it's a fantastic game. Uh, Man, I just, this really, I'm surprised to see it, the number 10 spot. I love this game a lot. And I think it's due to the fact that everybody that I've introduced this game uh, to loves it. Loves, loves, loves it. I've introduced it even to like a couple people who haven't played many board games. And this is a little bit more on the complex side, combining worker placement with deck building. And yet still, it's always tense. It's always wonderful. Um, and I think right now my biggest complaint is that Dire Wolf did us dirty and basically made my base game obsolete by coming out with mm-hmm. Dune Imperium 2.0. And I probably should buy it, but right now I'm I'm protesting Um yeah, so I mean, it could have been like just an alternate map, but you know, whatever they did, they did what they had to do, and um, I, maybe after I watch the movie, I will shell out for it. But yeah, Dune Imperium is so, it's so good. I don't know why anyone would play Lost Ruins of Arnak when they could play Dune Imperium, and that's just that's just my take, man. That's my take. Yeah, I think I think they're a little bit different games. I've come around a little bit more to Lost Ruins of Arnak. I still think Dune Imperium's the game i would rather play um but totally agree with you on the the way dire wolf has kind of brought the game out frustrated me with the new dune imperium uprising after they brought out all the expansions you know that's it's the way it goes it's business but um i think that's a fantastic pick david all right uh, to go to my number nine david another game that i would say you would hate on uh in my top 10 list here this is a game beloved for its cover art, um, this it, well, original cover art. Uh, this is Great Western Trail by the great Alexander Pfister. Um, another game, David, that I think I love, you don't care for. Um, this is one that's just continued to grow on me. Um, this is a 
this spot will will really include New Zealand uh, in there as well as the second edition. Uh, kind of all of, it's all the same system. So in my mind, it's just a couple different variants of it. Um, New Zealand is probably my favorite way to play this game. It's kind of Great Western Trail for Great Western Trail lovers. Um, this game is so tight. Um, you have so little resources and want to do so many things. Um, the hand management in this game I really enjoy because there's different ways along the route for you to ditch cards in your hand. And sometimes you have multiples, so it's great because you can only deliver one of each type cow at the end of the route. But sometimes you don't and you have to kind of gamble. Do I need these three coins now or do I want to try to push for a, you know, further delivery? I think New Zealand added some ancillary items that really kind of help smooth the game out in terms of how you um, do your deliveries, how you can, uh, you know, progress on the Kingfisher track and or the Pathfinder track. And um, I just I really enjoy everything that this game is doing. I think it's a great design. The pace of the game is often set by the players, meaning that, you know, if somebody's really sending it, trying to get multiple deliveries, you have to decide, all right, are they going to get an extra delivery or two than me? And and I'm going to kind of continue going slow or I'm going to push the speed of the game. And the end always feels really tight because you're trying to calculate, all right, I can move this many spaces. Am I going to get an extra delivery? I really need to set myself up. So I do. But maybe somebody's, you know, kind of just running it down and. Uh, I might be in a tough spot, but uh, yeah, I think for a heavy Euro game, this is kind of everything I want. Good interaction, good hand management, good action structure, different strategies to win and uh, everything like that. So definitely a punishing game when you're first playing, especially when you're playing with people who, you know, had played it dozens of times. Um, You know, we all learned about those tax buildings in our first play. So, um, but overall, really enjoy this one, David. I know it's not your cup of tea, but that's okay. You know, John, variety is the spice of life. And, uh, you know, that's why we do these lists so that we can roll our eyes at each other. I understand why people love Great Western Trail so much. And as a matter of fact, after getting my first win on BGA uh, against somebody that I felt like, you know, had a high ELO, so I felt like they knew what they were doing, uh, I, I've, I've come around a little bit on Great Western Trail. Um, I think that... Okay, let me just set the stage real fast for everybody. All right, this is this is David. He is new. I am new to games, uh, new to the board gaming world. And I had just had uh, some new friends come over to play Brass Birmingham. We were all on the same playing field. It was like, man, this is what a, what a game. It was a little bit of a headache uh, just because of how much brain power we were expending. But it was good. And I was like, man, I would love to play with these guys again. And so we, uh, we invite them over. And the next week they come to my home. And our friend Matthew, he plops down this gray box with three uh, old dudes with like faces that are straight out of the uncanny Valley. And he's like, why don't we play great Western trail? And I was like, okay. Uh, I felt like I can, I can do math. This looks, and so he starts explaining the rules and I'm a little lost, but that's okay. And turn one, I do a move and then everybody else puts down their tax building. And I thought, well, something's not right here. And I think I ended the game with, it was either 23 or 13 points, something like that. I, I couldn't quite remember. And, of course, you know, uh, Matthew and Steven uh, all scored big brain points uh, towards the end of the game. And I thought, man, I'm really bad. This was, uh, this was something. And I was like, but I'd be willing to revisit, only to then find out, you know, as Matthew starts explaining, you know, yeah, this is my favorite game and that sort of thing. He's like, you know, there is a, a world championship of Great Western Trail, and I've read all the strategy guides, and immediately I thought, you know, I see. 
this is a game for tryhards. And that is where it died for me and why I really didn't enjoy uh, Great Western Trail for a long time. And it could not, maybe it's not the fault of the game, but perhaps the level of play at which I was engaging with it. Uh, but now, after so many years of being around all of you, understanding kind of what some things to look for, I can see an appreciation for it. But I think at this point, I would rather play New Zealand because I, as far as I know, there's not a great, uh, there's not a, 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 a world championship for the New Zealand uh, game <laughs> yet. And so I'm willing to engage with that one because it hasn't reached uh, the try-hard level yet. I'm sure somebody else out there has written the BGG Optimal Strategy Guide, and Matthew has you know studied it, and he probably printed it out and has it taped to a ceiling so that when he goes to bed at night, he can read it right before he goes to bed. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where Great Western Trail lives for me, John. And I'm sorry. Yeah. But hey, it's a it's a good game, and I finally got a win. So. It can only go up from there. We'll see. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and and I, I really do want to play New Zealand. So when I come visit, maybe we can try to uh, get that one knocked out. So I'm excited for it. Hey, there um, you go. All right. Uh, my number nine is a tried and true classic. Uh, this game, many attribute to really just uh, either inventing or at least solidifying the worker placement genre. Uh, this is 17th century subsistence farming. Some would call this Misery Farm, and that is Mr. Uwe Rosenberg's Agricola. Man, oh man, what a game. I love this game so much. I've got a couple of things that I really love. Um, Agricola has this feature where the worker placement spots come out in different order every game. So it's not the same. I guess you could say similar to a Great Western Trail where the built, the, the, the starting yeah. buildings are, are different every time. So uh, there you go. Uh, I love that about Agricola. Worker placement spots come out in different order. I love that this game has some drafting because similar to uh, you know, other games that we like, like uh, Terraforming Mars, for example. I mean, this game is... John, you should love Agricola because it's basically Terraforming Mars and, and Great Western <laughs> Trail um, mixed in one game. So, but no, Agricola came out so many years ago, uh, and yet it still holds up because what the game does is it allows you to draft these cards before your occupations and your minor improvements before the game starts, and this basically is sort of what dictates your strategy. After that, it is very tight, very brutal worker placement where I see John is gearing up, he's got a bunch of wood saved up, and I know on his first turn, he... Uh, did one thing, and on his next turn, he's going to build some fences. And I think, you know what? I could probably build some fences too. I don't have as much wood, but I could build a fence or two, maybe hide a sheep in one of my stables, and so I do. And John is sitting there thinking, why didn't I take turn order the last game? I should have taken turn order before David did. Uh, Just like, yeah, it's so much. um, The cards have so much personality. They all do wild, just like game-breaking things. Um, and, And yeah, I just... I love it. It's a game about timing. It's a game where you must be very vigilant about what your opponents are doing. Um, when you know the game, I think it just really shines. John, I know we played a game on BGA and we were just kind of clicking around. I don't want to. I, I don't want to cut that, David. That was that was. I want to actually. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't read any rules. I was just like, oh, I'll figure it out. And, and no, I, I want I to. I want to play this one with you guys, and because I, I really think that you guys would would like it. Some people prefer Caverna. Don't listen to those people because Caverna is just a looser game. It's got it's it's about dwarves, which maybe is a better theme, but uh for my money, Agricola is the tighter experience and the better Euro and the OG. So there we go. Fair enough. 
Oh, feed your people too. The feed yeah. your people mechanism. Man, Brutal. oh man. Brutal. We're playing a game of Zulkin right now and I've already oh, lost right. three points. So there we go. <laughs> oh, David. Uh, yeah, that one definitely uh, deserves another shout from me. Um, probably in person. Um, Async online was great to be able to mess around and, and click stuff, but I, I feel like I didn't give it the attention it deserved. But um, excited to uh, to try that one again. All right, David, my number eight is new to my list this year, and it is 100% because of you. This is a game that I just find myself wanting to play more and more of. Um, We've talked about having a weekend dedicated to this game alone, um, and that is Guards of Atlantis 2. Um, David, I can't tell you how appreciative I am that you brought this game into my life, that you found this strange game from middle of nowhere got it at PAX I think or you got it in like a trade or something like that and um we played it, I think two or three times over that one weekend you were here which caused Jacob to send it on a a copy and the newest kickstarter as well and um outside of board games my hobby is is video games right so I've always played a lot of video games and the game I've played by far the most is a game called league of legends which is a moba or multiplayer online battle arena spent thousands of hours playing that um and probably just as much money as i have on my board game collection um <laughs> nice. which is a little embarrassing but guards of atlantis uh attempts to recreate that kind of moba style strategy on a tabletop game and i think it just does a fantastic job um it is not a super fast and flashy game. I would say it is more about planning and strategy and execution. Um, there's a good element of teamwork in the game as well because you have some limited communication. Um, so you just get these mind meld moments. You have a ton of unique characters with crazy abilities. And um, every time I've played this game, uh, it's just gone up in my estimation. So I've really loved, loved, loved getting this game played. I think this is going to be a mainstay uh, on my top list. I don't think this is a flash in the pan of, hey, I really love this game and now it's going to go down on my list. Um, I think this one's here to stay. I, uh, It's just fantastic, David. I don't remember where this was, if it's been on your list already. I apologize. Uh, but um, it's just, it's so good, David. It's just, it's everything I want in this kind of team-based game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was number 12 and only reason it's not I mean, I could easily see this replacing Dune Imperium and maybe even further just because I've not, I just have not had enough plays of it. Uh, I have another friend here locally uh, who also is a big uh, League of Legends, um, uh, has history with League of Legends. And I told him, you got to play this game. I hope you would, I I think he'll enjoy it. Um, It is a deep game. I think that, John, I think that's what I enjoy so much about it is just how deep the game really can be and i know high level play is when you know your opponent's cards i mean you know your teammates cards and they know your cards and mm-hmm. you don't even have to say anything because you know exactly what hex you need to go to and what order you need to play in to execute whatever plan that you need to do uh and knowing exactly how your opponent is going to react or what they're going to do first yeah it's so good the characters are all incredibly diverse uh guards of atlantis to is probably the best team game that is out there um and you know i the cost of entry is a little high i think for some uh for for the game but i i think it's worth it it is a game that you can be playing for years to come obviously the biggest downside is you need four people i mean it's like yep. you you need you need the four people and you know 
it is it's a downside in that like if you had lower player counts it'd be nice to be able to play it but for what it is like that's just it's just what you want it's a great experience yeah. so great pick great pick yeah and and it All just right. does something that nothing nothing else in my collection yeah. or in my kind of top yeah. games list does too so that uniqueness and in, in the, the execution of it is just fantastic but no Anyways. Noah Yamps Noah Yampsies, right, John? Noah Yampsies up in here. <laughs> so, all right. Uh we'll we'll explain that um what do you call that, John? That acronym a little bit later. So all right. This game's not in a Yampsie, <laughs> or as I would say, as yet another as multiplayer yet. solitaire Euro. Uh this is Hansa Teutonica. Oh. Man, if you like if you liked Great Western Trail because there was a uh a, a grim looking old white dude on the cover, then you're going to love Honda Teutonica too, because it's got the same just plain looking European dude just sitting there on the front cover, drawing a map of what is actually the game board, which is so fun. I love when they do that. Honda Teutonica is, I think, maybe the daddy of taking cubes or pieces off of your board, which also increases your engine. So like if you've ever played Barrage or if you've ever played Terra Mystica, um, I think those games can probably trace some roots back to Hansa Teutonica in that on your turn, um, you can upgrade your board, thus increasing or like the efficiency of the actions you'll take from then on out or claim territory, one of the outposts, so that anytime somebody also claims a route there, you're gaining points. Um, it is a very interactive game. It's tactical, but also strategic. Uh, I've seen you can take this games um, and upgrade so many different ways. Uh, and I don't think there is one particular strategy that that works. I mean, I've seen uh, people win and, uh, you know, they only upgraded to, say, three actions versus, you know, getting four or five. I've seen some people win uh, where they just upgraded their money back so that their income comes all at once, uh, even doing like the keys and just getting a few keys out there um, so that your connected routes are worth more. Yeah, it's all about knowing when to place and where to place, uh, when to bump and when not to bump. Um, I love, I love, 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 love Hanta Teutonica. Fantastic game. Fantastic game. Yeah, this is a game that has been so frustrating to me playing it a couple times and just getting repeatedly beat down and beat down and beat down. Um, <laughs> so I think I need, I need maybe one more play where I feel like I know everything going on. Cause even the last time we played, I knew the rules. I still got, I still got crushed, but, Man. uh, that's the way it goes sometimes, you know, sometimes games are punishing. So, yep. I agree. Great pick. Um, all right. My number seven, David, is a game that's had a bit of a resurgence this year for a few of us, I think. I think you've already talked about this one on your list. So, this is going to be one of my favorite um, solo games. Uh, multiplayer, I'll play it. Um, but I still think uh, solo is probably my favorite way to play. And that's going to be Spirit Island. Spirit Island um, kind of came back front and center for both me, you, and our friend Jacob this year, I think, where we all kind of took some time to just play through a good amount of spirits on a kind of solo um, one board type standpoint. I used to at one point just have this set up on my desk and then I would just kind of flip out and play a game in 15 minutes or so, you know, play through pretty quickly uh, as long as you're not you know, taking it out of the box and putting it up and then putting it back out and all that. It, it goes by pretty smooth. Uh, there's just such a wide a variance in all the different spirits that you can play the theme is super clever right instead of trying to settle an island you're trying to push the the colonist out and there's a variety of different um you know opponents that you can play and um, difficulty scaling which i've still really yet to touch too much um i've just really enjoyed the puzzle that this game gives and 
how the game flows. Biggest critique that's everyone's critique is you kind of know when you've won the game, when, you know, you either are going to win or lose the game, right? And then you're kind of just playing out the round after that. I don't have as big a beef as that as some of our friends, right? There's tension the entire game up until that point. So you're telling me like you, hey, you found the point where you win the game and it might not be this round, but it might be next. So you're kind of just going through the motions to wrap it up. Like that doesn't really bother me. Um, This game Mm -hmm. still just feels like a tense puzzle the whole way through really enjoy the card system and the variants you get from all of the different uh, cards that are out there um, in the power deck and, and how every spirit kind of plays differently. So really big fan of this one. Yeah, it's good, man. I, I really enjoy it. I'm looking forward to going through Jagged Earth and getting all of that content uh, played out. I think that the, um, the event deck also, I think helps with like that predictability mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's that, uh, some people like it. Some people don't, I, I really enjoy it just for that aspect of throwing in some curveballs there. Uh, but like you said, even if you do figure it out, it's not like you think like, oh, I, I have five rounds left and I, I've already won this game. It's like, it's like the turn before. So it's not that, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's not like a card flip, like it would be in pandemic. So perhaps that might not be as exciting for you, but, uh, for me and for John and for our buddy Jacob, I think we we think it's great. So uh, yeah, good pick, good pick, mm-hmm. well deserved of the top ten. All right, my number seven. Uh, this is a this is a Euro game, but rest assured, not in a Yamsi, that's for sure. So we got barrage from Mister Simone Luciani and Tommaso Battista, uh, or Tommaso Battista. Uh, barrage is a fantastic game. We've talked about Hansa Teutonica and how you uh, upgrade your board. Well, barrage takes that. And a little bit to the next level makes it a much heavier and uh, longer experience. But I think um, I think if it, this hadn't come to BGA, it probably would have fallen outside of my top 10 because I haven't actually played my physical copy in quite some time. Just because I don't know that I have the, the folks around me for it just yet. Uh, but man, for my money, Barrage, I think, is, is probably Simone Luciani's uh, his best game. It's not my favorite game of his, but I think it is his best game. Um, it's so good because the idea of almost every other game you play, when you have resources, you collect them, and then when you go to take the action, you spend them. Not in Barrage. You never spend your resources. They just go into a little wheel, and they go into a little cooldown period, and you have to wait till that wheel spins around five or six times, whatever it is, and as soon as it makes that full rotation, you get all those juicy resources back. But the thing is, this game is so tight that as soon as those resources go into that first slot, you already need them in the next turn. Uh, and so just figuring out a puzzle of how to get those resources back, when to place out what buildings, how to block your opponents. I think that's what's so great about this game is that the map in and of itself is, is, is sort of simple. Um, and so you can easily create tension points of interaction where you uh, see something and you can block somebody from getting it. Uh, it might cost you, but maybe it's worth the cost. And so just constantly figuring out how to spend your resources. Um, I love that in this game, it's not a game where you like acquire more workers, uh, similar to like Agricola or Tolkien. I mean, I like those games too. In this one, you've mm-hmm. got, was it 10 or 12 workers? And from every round, you figure out how are you going to use all of those workers. Uh, and there are certain actions that take up more workers than others. Uh, so that's always fun, too, is figuring out what work, what spots deserve your one worker versus others that you need to spend two or three. Yeah, Barrage, I think, is, is a brilliant design. 
Um, and I'm excited because the two-player map should be delivering sometime in the next month or two. Uh, so really excited to hopefully get some more plays out of that uh, now that we have a map that will scale a little bit better. Yeah. David, this is still one that I've not played, um, and I think I would enjoy it. I mean, it seems right up my alley. The idea of some of the variable maps, too, seem like it would be um, be fun to play and, and having your collection. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Brady may own this. I don't remember, but um, it's not something we've broken out anytime recently. That's for sure. But I think um, I would think, like to try um, this the, one. Yeah, the last time we played, uh, I think Matthew owns it, and I think he. I'm pretty sure he owns it. Uh, I think he got a little frustrated because he got a um, an executive officer, so player power that's like a really good early game one, but not so great end game. But like I knew that. And I guess maybe like, I don't know, dude, you got the big brain. You should have realized that too. And I think he was a little frustrated that towards the end game, he wasn't able to like use that power as much or like it wasn't worth using the power as much. But I was like, hey, that's sort of the point is because like that one lets you jumpstart your economy in the early game and take advantage over the rest of us. And then hopefully by the end game, yeah. now you don't need it as much. And But, you know, so, you know, but you know how it is like with these guys. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I understand Matthew a little bit more. Uh, I was teaching the Mythic Battles Ragnarok and... We're getting towards the end of the game, and I can tell Matthew's starting to get frustrated. And um, I'm like, "What? Do you need help understanding the rules?" I'm trying to understand, like, "Hey, why are you why are you getting so frustrated?" And he's like, "I, I just I can't see how I win." And I'm like, "You don't, Matthew. You've lost. You've lost the game based on the decisions <laughs> that you made." And he gets so he's like. I think he needs there to be some way that he can win. Otherwise he starts trying to critique the design. I mean, yeah, it was, so he, he got handedly beaten in this game based on the decisions that he made. And because of that, his view of the game was, was tarnished, but I'm like, Matthew, sometimes you just got to accept that you lost because of your own decisions and actions. But um, it's a game problem. So I can (laughs) see if, if he got yoinked by maybe not, not using his power that was powerful earlier in the game to full advantage and then yeah. felt like he didn't do as much as other players in late game. So we'll, we'll push yeah, this we, one back up again though. Yeah. Well, we love, we love our friend and just anytime I hear the X, you know, such and such power is OP. I've, I've learned to tune that out so hard. Uh, I was like, yep, I've, I've heard this conversation before and uh, we'll just ignore it and move on by. Cause I know it is a, a completely incorrect uh, statement so yeah. anyways barrage that's the thing it's got those abilities that are game breaking dude they're game breaking and you think you can do yeah. what um but everybody's on that playing field so anyways great game Absolutely. john what is your number six all right my number six david is a game that um i think is best at two players but i'll play it up uh up to four if i'd like to uh just increases the the play time but i know it's one you and your wife both love it's one that i've enjoyed playing with my wife and i've got my deluxified uh everything but the miniatures copy uh here with me is castles of burgundy or the castles of burgundy uh just fantastic midweight euro there's you know i know you talked about it earlier um lots of different strategies in this game i love the kind of dice mechanism you do have some mitigation but um, sometimes you just have to take what the dice take you. There's, uh, you know, lots of different ways to win in this game, fun ways to build combos, um, really satisfying payoff turns are part of what I really like of setting up. Like I'm going to get this castle and then this building, which lets me take another building, which I'm going to be able to play with this third. There's just like, you can have these really, really fun turns, but overall, I just think it's a super solid streamlined Euro game. 
I love the new version is just beautiful. Really enjoyed that. I haven't even touched like the vineyard expansion or some of the um, new content that came with the revised edition. I've tried some of the mini expansions, but um, there's a lot of variance in how this game plays out game to game. I don't feel like it's the same strategy every time, which is another thing I really enjoy in Euros based on how all those tiles come out onto the board. So um, Castles of Burgundy, just a fantastic mainstay in my collection, a game that I will be willing to play pretty much any time, uh, anywhere. I do enjoy this most at probably two players just because it's so quick at two players, um, but I'll play it at a higher player count too, for sure. But I know you like this one too. Uh, so I'll be Castles of Burgundy, number six. Yeah, Castles is great. And yeah, John, I highly recommend the Vineyard expansion and the uh, the Trade Roots expansion. Both are fantastic and I think add a lot to the game without taking away what um, makes the game already yeah. so good. So yeah, yeah, Castles is good. All right, uh, my number six. We're starting to talk about the man, the myth, the legend himself. Uh, Mr. Cole Worley. We are not worthy of Mr. Worley uh, and his genius <laughs> of game design. Um, I love, man, Pax Premier is so good. Pax Premier 2nd Edition, uh, I think, is a gorgeous game. Uh, it is so beautiful. Just the way, like, the cloth map, um, the blocks, um, the, 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 all the, just the, the different pieces. I love the art, the historical art that's in the game. I think what I love most about Pax Pamir is it, it teaches you, so it's tableau building, which I love, but it, it teaches you to not be married to the cards in your tableau. You got to just be able to switch on a dime as soon as you see the opportunity. And I love like games of where there it's an opportunistic game and in the game rewards those who are able to um, see those opportunities from afar and strike when the iron is hot. And, you know, one minute I'm in bed with England and now I see that Russia has quickly surged over Afghanistan and I'm like, well, it's a good thing I kept this uh, Russian card right here in my back pocket. Why don't uh, I just invite him over to my court and all of my English cards that I had in my uh, in my tableau are gone because I'm allied with the Russians now. And uh, yeah, I've been allied with the Russians this whole time. You guys just didn't know. And you get in, you sneak in a point here, you sneak in a point there. And I think what's so good is that at the very end of the game, um, the the final dominance is worth double points. So everybody scores double. Uh, and so this what this allows someone to do is even if they're maybe behind the whole game, it allows them to catch up and potentially win uh, again if they're able to strike when the iron is hot and see that opportunity coming from afar so yeah i love pax premier it's a little fiddly in certain points uh, but otherwise a very beautiful game um, that i've enjoyed uh solo uh three four and five player nice yeah this is a game that david i'd say i've not played enough i think i've played it two or three times and slowly slowly beginning to see it um it's one where, to your point, I think it's very evocative in uh, the presentation. Uh, the pieces are so unique. The board game, the, the board is literally a piece of cloth, right? I mean, how many board games do you see that are doing that? Uh, not many. So um, definitely interesting. I played this online again recently without brushing up on the rules and accidentally purchase a dominance card and somebody had some victory condition and just won on the spot. So sorry to the random PGA oh, wow. people Jeez. I played with that uh, I caused the game to end prematurely. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a game that uh, I think our group gets really into. Um, definitely one I'd prefer to play on the table um, mm -hmm. or at least mm -hmm. live versus like asynchronously just based on how yeah. all the interaction works. So yeah, um, absolutely. Great pick. 
All right. That leads to the top. We're top five, David. We've got sure. only five more games left on this list. Um, these are the heaviest of hitters. Um, so my number five, David, is a game you're slowly but surely coming around to. I'm going to force you to keep playing it until you tell me how much you love this game. This oh is the second game I'd ever played getting back into board games. I uh, started yeah. with Champions of Midgard, and then next week we jumped immediately into Eric Lang's Masterpiece. Uh, Blood Rage. Uh, Blood Rage is at its core a drafting uh, area control game. Um, it is all about the draft, all about kind of pre-planning your round strategy based on the cards that you're able to get. Um, David is very reductive in his thinking about this game, saying it's all about who gets the best tier list card, which is just objectively false. Um, but uh, I will say knowledge of what cards are out there and, and what people could have uh, is obviously a crucial part to this game. Uh, information is power, David. Um, so uh, Blood Rage is a game I still enjoy, even if I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. There is, I'd like to joke with this game that Whenever I play with Jacob, I always do some move where eventually he's like, John, why are you trying to ruin my life? And I'm like, I'm just playing the game, bro. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just I'm out here moving pieces, you know, tacking things, playing cards. And apparently I'm ruining Jacob's life. But uh, the most recent play, he was complaining, but then I almost won. So at least I feel like I, I could have won if uh, if you didn't have a certain card at the very end of the game. But um, I just I love this game. The miniatures are great. The gameplay is good. Uh, would love for a Blood Rage 2.0 to come down the pipe sometime soon uh, with some maybe some rules revisions and um, tweaks to some of the strategies and, and all that. But um, absolutely love Blood Rage. It's here to stay on my list. I know this is one that you have given quite a fair shake, and uh, I don't think it's still hitting for you. It might have improved a little bit, but I don't think it's ever going to be in your top, top 20. I, I think... So, John, I found a copy of like the original kickstarter with like all the stuff for like 160 um and i almost sent it and i was like you know that routinely sells for like 200 plus so maybe i should send it but i was like no because i really don't like i really don't like this game um it is it's a good game i know it is uh and after about you know eight plays or so maybe even more um i i recognize why the game is good i think what it is for me is just it is there are so many things that you can get sucked into that are like no fault of your own. And you just have to hope like you just, you couldn't have guessed that, you know, the two battles that maybe you got involved with some person and they drafted the, um, you know, the, the Loki's suck or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then you fight another battle and someone else sucked your rage too. And you're like, well, here I am round one. And uh, I mean, not that you can't come back from that. Um, I think to win in blood rage you, I mean, obviously, you got to know the cards, but I think you also have to um, time things really well so that you don't place yourself in positions that are just like really unlucky or just like, and not unlucky in that it's like a random die roll. I think unlucky in that, like, you know, for example, the last game that we played, your fire giant invaded um, a region where I had my my leader, and I was going to throw my uh, my ice giant in there. And if I had been able to do that, I, the game maybe could have gone a little bit differently. But it just so happened that, like, of all the regions that you could have gone to, that was the one that you picked. And so just, you know, if you can stay away from, like, getting hurt in, in those types of ways, uh, maintaining your own strategy, too, I think that really helps a lot. So, like, in that last game, I felt like Jacob was able to stave off some of those, like, just unfortunate scenarios while also, you know, putting together, a, you know, a really good combo 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so got to have a little luck, a little bit of opportunity, uh, and of course know the cards to do well. And uh, yeah, it just it gives me a lot of anxiety. Blood Rage, when it comes to doing battle, it just gives me so much anxiety because I have no idea what shenanigans the other person is going to pull. And it feels like mm-hmm. a mind game, but it also feels like not a mind game. Um, and it just, yeah, it's so stressful in a good way, but also still stressful. I like have to get up and walk around after I've taken my turn or have initiated combat because it's just even even async, it is very stressful. So I guess to the game's credit, it, it at least makes you feel something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good pick, John. Yeah, good, good, good pick. Good pick. Uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe one day it'll, it'll do something for me. So, all right, my number five. This is this is our podcast's namesake, John. This is Ooh. number five. Too many bones. Um, what can I say about too many bones? I there's a lot that I could say about it, uh, but John, I feel like maybe it's slightly higher on your list. This is a fantastic game. We love asymmetry. We love crazy wonky powers. Uh, we love games that are super charming, and I think that's what Too Many Bones is for me. If you want our thoughts about it, uh, our first episode or two goes into great detail about why we love this game so much. Um, but I think for me, it is it is the game that made me fall in love with Chip Theory games and um, a, a fantastic design. And anything that they brought out after the base game has only gotten better and better and better. So yeah, this was this is a good one. Love it. Yep, too many bones. Obviously, is a uh, is a game that both of us uh, really enjoy. So uh, I'll talk about that one in a, in a few minutes, David. But okay, um, fantastic pick. All right, uh, my number four, David, is a game that I'm 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 hoping is in your remaining four, uh, based on how much we talk about uh, really liking it. Um, this is a game that somehow idiot John last year ranked like way high in the 50 like 40s and i i don't know what i was thinking because this is clearly one of the best games that i have ever ever played uh, and that is terra mystica oh david is this a direct crossover with you number direct double crossover four on my list and number four on your list um uh, awesome so this includes age of innovation for me because they're pretty much the same game variants on the same system um, does not include Gaia project. Cause I think that's different enough. And I don't love Gaia project as much as I love Terra Mystica. Um, it's just, it is one of the best heavy euros. It, it makes you think so much, but it does give you such a good kind of environment to play in where the unique factions add so much, even though the majority of your buildings are the same, what you can do are the majority the same. The small little tweaks of how different factions can kind of score ancillary points comboed with the different round bonuses. Um, this is just, the, it's the heavy euro for me, David. There's some shared infrastructure. Um, there's trying to be close to your opponents, but not too close because they can also steal the territories you might want to go to. There's a good draft at the start of the game where you're trying to understand, all right, what factions are players going? What factions might I want to play? Um, and then you have to place your dwellings out and you're trying to, again, be close, but not too close because um, you can benefit by being adjacent and you can get some discounts on some buildings, but there's limited resources on the board. Um, 
this game is a little opaque when you're first starting to understand how all the scoring works. Um, really helped when a friend said, you want to kind of start the game and see, you know, here are the two or three rounds I'm really planning to score the majority of my points in and kind of plan towards that. Um, it's a game that at the very start, you do want to have a general idea of what your game plan is, um, but you also have to be able to pivot as the game goes on. So Terra Mystica, Age of Innovation, fantastic games with just a, uh, so much replayability based on the interaction, the factions, all that kind of stuff. I will always be up for a game of this on Board Game Arena um, or obviously an in-person play as well. So, And not not even talking about the fan factions that have been made that are even crazier than um, the one that comes in the the base game and um, and some of the expansions. So absolutely love uh, Terra Mystica. Um, really been enjoying Age of Innovation too, in some of the ways that uh, it kind of changes or, or plays off of the the system of Terra Mystica. I think it smooths it out a little bit. It adds a little bit more, uh, but I think it adds some really good things too. So um, really love Terra Mystica. Fun that it's a, a direct crossover as well, David. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how serendipitous. The game is fantastic. And I think it takes two or three plays to really get into. Um, at least for me, it did. But once you do, it really sings. Um, if you want a good interactive Euro, I think this I think this is it. Um, I prefer this to Gaia Project because it is a little bit more punishing in the um, like the territories, like when someone steals one, you can you can get locked in. I mean you can get and that happened in our last game, and you can get locked in in certain areas and just like mm-hmm. that's just how it goes. So um, yeah, this is a, a fantastic game that really just burns your brain in in all the best ways and you know the factions all have a lot of personality i really like it and i'm enjoy i'm looking forward to playing age of innovation and seeing in what ways it improves on it so yeah here we are terra mystica so good all right john hit us with your number three my number three david david i just have to say out of my top 10 one two three at least three of these games are directly on this list because of you um in this next game number three is uh a game that you me and jacob played late at night um after we had already played a game we all had i had a headache for sure um but i still knew that there was something about this game that was worth coming back to um and a lot of people feel that way david because it is the number one game according to board game geek this is brass and i'm i'm Mm. putting Birmingham and, and Lancashire together as most people yeah. do. Um, even though I know they're, they're slightly different games um, and play differently, but uh, just the, this is along with Terra Mystica, the, the two heavy heroes that if you wanted me to pick one, um, it would be hard. I'd be hard pressed to pick one over the other. Uh, I did give the edge slightly to brass. Cause I think it's a little bit smoother of a game, um, but a lot of the same ideas, right? You've got some shared infrastructure, uh, which is something all of us love. Um, you do have some convoluted rules, but it's something where as you play more and more, the game just sings and there's a variety of strategies you can go. The thing that I love about this one is how our game play has evolved as we've continued to play it. I think the first game or two that we played, nobody did any developing, right? Or, or the action where you're, you know, removing some buildings. And now we're all like, this is the greatest action in the world. And now we're all starting to do that. And then, you know, if people start developing, you're like, oh, well, maybe I want to build iron because then I can just mm-hmm. make a bunch of fast cash early mm-hmm. in the game and maybe avoid taking an early loan. And then, you know, you're it's just people react to what other people are doing. And you get benefits by providing resources people need. 
Um, or you can push your own points or income up by using other people's resources more liberally. And, and oh, there's just it, everything about this game is great. Um, I haven't heard it on your list yet, David, so I won't talk too much about it because I know this is one that you love as well. And I'm sure is is on your list, too. Um, again, I think we'll have a couple a couple crossovers in these next few. So uh, Brass, Birmingham and Lancashire is just fantastic. It is a good game, and we'll talk about it here in just a second. All right, my number three. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes things got to be taken down a, a peg or two um, for you to be humbled. And my number one game has been Grand Austria Hotel for so long, and currently Ooh. it now sits at number three. Now, again, I think with it, John, I don't know about you, but when it comes to my top three games for the most part, they can shift around on any given day, given my mood. Um, and so it's number three, but it could be number two tomorrow or even number one again. We had just played it, and that is a Grand Austria Hotel. Well, I guess I already said that, didn't I? Uh, yeah, Grand Austria Hotel is, I don't think, Simone Luciani's best game, but I think it is my favorite game of his. Um, folks, you might say, David, you're a fraud. There is not much interaction in this game, and you know what? You're darn skippy, and I don't care. That's fine. That is fine with me. This might be slightly more on the uh, heavier side of the Yamsi uh, spectrum, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, Grand Austria Hotel is an amazing game. I love, um, I love this game so much. The, yeah. There's. It just does so many things right for me. It does so many things right in that it just every turn is a turn of opportunity, a turn to combo. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the the theme is very charming as well. There's a lot that this game does for me, and it does it in, in a very good way of integrating, like getting your uh, your hotel guests, feeding them, booking them into the uh, into their rooms. I think the expansion is also fan- like it was already a good game, and I think the expansion just makes it even better. Um, John, I know you haven't had many play as many plays of this one. Um, so yeah, where have you have you played Grand Austria Hotel? Grand Austria Hotel is one that I've not uh, played more than I think I've only played it once. Um, some of the things I do remember loving is that kind of dice drafting for your actions, etc. The art was also very, very cute. I know you like the art in this one a lot, too. Um, definitely need to play this game more, as I keep saying. I, I don't think there's an online adaptation anywhere. Um, otherwise, that's something I would um, would go for. But great pick, David. It is All my right. favorite dice drafting game, for sure. So, Number two. Yeah. Number two is Too Many Bones. Um, yeah, we, we obviously have a whole podcast dedicated to this game. We, we like it. Uh, we like it quite a bit. Um, got everything for it. I mean, this game just opened my eyes to how fun, uh, board games can be, right? I think a lot of our group really focused on strategy games and even in our campaign games, it was, you know, the gloom havens, the things like that, where it's a little bit more, um, focused on the strategy aspect of it and, I was just blown away by how enjoyable an experience you can have while still having tight, tense, strategic decisions. I love the combat in this game. I love the character building in this game. I love the art and the world in this game. Obviously, um, 
yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. There's just so many good things to say about this game. The only knock I'll give it is that it can be a barrier to set up sometimes, and that's a, a, a bit of a barrier every once in a while, and the learning curve is steep. But, man, if there is something that's worth investing time into learning and um, figuring out, this game is is right at the top for me. I just absolutely love Too Many Bones, everything that it's doing. Um, kind of sad that the content's done, but kind of glad at the same time because I don't know mm-hmm. if I could have handled much more. So, uh, yeah, I just think it's it's everything I want in an adventurous, fun, kind of cooperative and or solo board game. So Too Many Bones is my yeah. number two. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic game. I we just both we really love it. And that's why we made this podcast, because it's so good. Um, all right. So we're going to move on to my number two. John, I don't know. I'm guessing this is higher on your list. It's got to be high on your list. This is, again, mm-hmm. we are not worthy of Mr. Worley. And that is his, I guess many would consider, magnum opus. That is Root by Cole Worley and Leader Games. The goat. Man, oh man. It is uh, so good love this game so much john i just i can't imagine my life without this one it is so like the art is great uh it is a war game but it's like disguised as a saturday morning cartoon um i i think the factions are also unique and yet at the same time they integrate so well uh there's some a lot of fun table talk as uh, someone starts gaining a lead the whole table has to work together to try to stop them but then you also have to you know keep a bu- uh, keep a gun in your back pocket so to speak and just make sure that like <laughs> hey i i know we're going to work together to stop this guy but i'm i'm also watching you just so you know yeah root is is amazing game an amazing game and i think another one that takes two or three plays to like really get into and really gain an appreciation for. I liked it on my first play just because I really liked the look of it and the pieces are also great. Um, but even just like after my third play, it solidified of like, yeah, this is, this is an all time great. Um, root is amazing. Yeah. Root is, uh, not surprisingly my number one game of all time. Uh, I, I actually did go back and forth, quite a bit on root versus too many bones is my number one. Um, and honestly, the only thing that pushed root above too many bones was some of the moments that I have with my friends playing root. I don't have the same moments per se playing too many bones. Cause so much of my too many bones experience is solo, um, have loved playing it with you have loved playing it with Jacob, but for our entire group, just root has had some of the best, if not the best gaming memories, um, uh, you know, whether that's the Woodland Alliance, just having one unit survive over and over and over again because um, they get the advantage when defending. Um, I got my first win on the Moles, which are one of my favorite factions just recently. And that was super satisfying to finally kind of play a faction over and over and feel like I couldn't quite get over the hump to finally doing so. But um, to your point, Root is a it is a war game in disguise hiding behind cute art. And I, I heard a great a lot of comparison of like, Blood Rage looks like a war game, but is really a, a Euro game. And Root looks like a cutesy game, but is really a, uh, you know, backstabbing war game. And just the the idea that art can create a perception of what a game's going to be like. Um, but it, you know, that's not always the case when you look at the mechanisms. And uh, as we've talked about, we love Cole Worley as a designer. I've listened to quite a bit of his different, you know, podcasts or talks about 
um, the design of Rude and, and how they designed, especially the initial four factions to kind of create this ecosystem of who needs to keep who in check and how, you know, aggression is measured and how, you know, oh, there's just so many good things in this game. The asymmetry is fantastic. The only knock I have on Root is for us, the the hireling expansion, because we usually play at higher player counts, just really wasn't uh, a huge hitter. Um, but I think the overall game is just fan freaking tastic. There's nothing I would uh, I would really want to change. I would play this at any time. The digital implementation is also fantastic. I love uh, how easy it is to play, even against just AI or bots on that. And favorite uh, favorite root faction, you know, might just get them tattooed on me. You know, we might have to do the That's the boys the plan, tattoos uh, That's for the plan. that one. we'll see uh but yeah david root uh my number one game of all time nice yes we need to get the uh the root tattoo going sometime soon um all right my number one this feels a little boring and that is going to be brass birmingham the number one game on board game geek doesn't feel like anything spectacular uh but yeah brass it is a, it's a good game. It is an amazing game. Um, the interaction between the players, how you are interacting on the map, um, all of the, just everything that you already said, John. But I think, like, someone said this once, and I totally agree. It is, like, where some games are about striking when the iron is hot. Brass is about striking when the iron is just now warming up because you have to be the one that sees when people are going to strike and then just lay out the resources for them or lay out the plans for them uh, or take advantage of whatever it is that they're laying out for you and plan a couple turns in advance. I love that it has a dynamic turn order. You spend the most cash, congrats. You also will go last in the next mm-hmm. round. And so sometimes you have this thing where you do like a little a little double-double where you um, spend a little bit of cash, set yourself up in this round just so that you can be first in turn order uh, in the next round. So you went last in round one, but now you're going first in round two. And so you just get four back-to-back turns um, in doing whatever like whatever you can do is great. I love hearing just the agony that people go get into whenever they need it. Whatever one coal was out there or two coal was out there for them to double rail, and you just snipe that up to do whatever it is that you were um, about to do. Um, it is a game where I think timing-wise... I think a good brass player knows when they don't have to pump up their income track anymore and really just focus on on points, points, and points. I'm not there yet. I'm not that good at at the game uh, because I always end up with a lot of money and maybe don't score as well. So, yeah, brass is so good. I love this game so much. Um, John, I don't know what else we have to say about brass. Yeah, brass, brass is just, it's so good, David. There's so many good things about it, obviously. I know it's in my top three. So um, the only question I have is, uh, is it a network? That's, that's That's the question you will hear 800 times. It is the one rule on that game that I'll say does not make intuitive sense. But once you understand that, man, the game just sings. I love, love how this game plays. Uh, We talked about it a little bit. But David, that is, that's 50 games. That is our favorite. Uh, 50 games listeners thank you for uh, coming on this journey with us as you can tell we love board games not just chip theory games although as you can tell too many bones especially uh high on both of our lists uh for good reason um but i appreciate everyone's uh kind of uh listening in on the uh, deviation from what our normal uh content will be 
Um, David, any last last words on your top 50 list? I do love this kind of exercise every year. I know we're technically it's March 1st as we're recording this. So we're a little into 2024 now. But um, I just enjoy kind of the end of the year reflection and review on how our tastes have changed. Um, I've definitely had some great new games to the list. If I look at Guards of Atlantis is the biggest one that's new to me this year that just shot up my list. Rumble Nation was another. Um, just some great games out there and finding new games every year. And they might not even be new this year. They might be old games that we're just discovering. So that's one of the fun parts of our hobby, I think. But any mm-hmm. uh, any final words before we close out on your top 50 or, or the list or anything else? No, I mean, I think for me, it is, um, this was a great list. I think we have a lot of shared taste and I hope for another great year of games. I think my goal again this year, I want to get cloud spire up on the top 50. And so I will, I'll do that eventually. Uh, but you know, we've rounded out our top 50 games and of course we will now, uh, in coming episodes, get back to the too many bones and other chip theory games content. So if you've been missing that, don't worry, we are coming to back to that very soon. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Well, I think that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode. Um, Listeners, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, feel free to send us an email. Uh, Notenoughbones at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram and Twitter at notenoughbonespod. Um, We'd like to thank Jonathan Allen Wright, our good friend, for our intro and outro music. Check him out, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you uh, listen to your music or catch your podcasts. Um, But... This has been uh, been John, joined by my good buddy David. This is uh, Not Enough Bones, signing out. See you guys later. Thanks. Bye-bye.